I'm Iris Hinneburg, and you're listening to the European Skeptics Podcast, The Real ESP Experience. You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 297. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Annika Harrison and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Hallo! Hey son, hey son. Who is talking? Mm. I can't. I do remember that voice, but where have you been, Andras? Oh, guys. It's like from the past. <laughs> the country where I've been mostly is Italy. Bella Italia. Um, I've been doing tours back and forth um, into Italy like crazy. So after almost a year of not working as a tour guide in may the new season is has started and now it just gone completely out of hand and <laughs> absolutely crazy <laughs> while i'm at home i do the tutoring as i used to before the, the tourism restarted and now i'm doing both of them so i'm just so happy that i can actually could make it so i love doing this with you guys it's amazing to see you yeah our <laughs> listeners can't but i can through uh, the zoom meeting that we are recording recording with so how have you been? Um, I mean, I've listened to all the episodes. Well, good. It for was you. great listening to you guys. Mm -hmm. I I really missed you, and thanks for the lovely words about me being somewhere or somewhere out there. But um, yeah, I I would have loved to be part of it. Yeah, that we've been good, I think. But uh, you should. Well, you're making me wrong here because um, last episode I said you wouldn't be here for this episode. <laughs> so, so, but that's because you weren't there when we we're getting to an interview later on in this episode, and you were not there for that. So that's what I meant. Mm -hmm. But uh, it seems to be a new tradition that I'm wrong. I was wrong last week in another way as well. So because I totally misspoke at at one point. Uh, did you catch it? I remember that something didn't sound quite right, but I t completely <laughs> forgot what it was. Yeah, that's so right. I'm, I, it might not be the same thing. Yeah, it's just check <laughs> just me checking that you uh, pay attention, right? Because I have this teacher Pontus, <laughs> <laughs> right? But I have this stupid thing. It's all in my head, uh, and I have a deficiency of some kind. But when it comes to the word seventy, for some reason in my head, twenty sounds the same as seventy. And uh, I, I don't know why that is, just because I'm a crazy guy, but that's what it is. So just to be set the record straight, the average lifespan in Russia is not around 20 years. It's around 70 years, which is... <laughs> oh, yeah, that sounds a bit better. I was, I was okay. like, that's very young, but yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, not even Russia's that bad. So... So uh, I said that, uh, well, I, maybe I shouldn't repeat it because every time you repeat something that is wrong, people remember that. But the actual average age in Russia is going down from 71 years to 70 years, not from what I said last week. Okay, It's, it's crazy because I, I did edit the show last week and I didn't catch it. I didn't hear that it was wrong. 
until I control listened to it after it had been launched. So anyway, so uh, mm. the, um, the average age in uh, Russia is now coming down from... Se- <laughs> I said it again almost. From 71.1 years to 70.2 years and nothing else. And how does that compare to rest of the world? Well, in EU... The average lifespan is 81.1 years, or it was in 2018. So it's. uh, I'm sorry if you're listening from Russia. Uh, The bad news is you will live a decade less than the rest of us. And that's, of course, terrible. But that's what I wanted. At least it wasn't 20 years of a lifespan. That that would have been too bad. Oh, yeah, yes. that, would, that, that would be even worse than uh, the Middle Ages. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So for this episode, I will give myself a really wrong award. For, first for saying the wrong thing and then for not even catching it when I edited it. So, <laughs> so that's yeah, what I, I've I been can, doing. I can tell you. I can tell you something that you both were quite wrong about. Sorry, sorry to say that. Mm-hmm. But uh, back when I think it was two ninety four episode two ninety four, when uh, you talked about Niels Bohr, yeah, it was amazing. It, it was it was great. But you did mention at some point that I might be more knowledgeable about the quantum physics part of of, of all that you were <laughs> oh. saying. Yeah. Well, I have to be. I have to admit that it's very kind of you to think that, but <laughs> I have no idea. Oh. I have knowledge about quantum physics at high school level. <laughs> well, that's still way a above high school us. chemistry teacher. <laughs> okay, probably, <laughs> but it's but that still doesn't mean that I know anything about quantum physics. No, nobody <laughs> does. I'm, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, I think it was uh, it was probably uh, Richard Feynman who said that if you think you understand quantum physics, you don't understand quantum physics. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> All right. So, Probably specifically so your, quantum your, mechanics was it, but yeah, yeah, yeah. We still have you in very high regards when it comes to physics and and, and uh, <laughs> those things, science. It's very yes. kind of you in general. That's yeah. That's very kind of you. Mm. And something that's also really held in really high regards uh, with us is QED, right? Yeah. Yay! Mm-hmm. But yeah. no, Are we I know what yeah. you're going to say. Yeah. Yeah, because <laughs> because it has been moved. It has been moved from February um, to the 28th to 30th of October. So pretty much in about a year. And right. mm-hmm. yeah, we, we can totally understand that it's the right decision, especially with how COVID is shaping out in Britain right now. But of course, yeah. it's sad. <laughs> it is very sad. Yeah. But, uh, you know, and we've been... This is, this is crazy now because it'll be... Is it three... Four years. It'll be four years between the two QEDs. And uh, that is yeah, that's almost right. yes. what we can't... I mean, I can't really handle that. But we're still looking forward <laughs> you have to You have to, to, to hang in there. <laughs> yeah, I'm hanging in there. And so should you, listeners. And uh, whenever it will happen, we will be there. We promise. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and, yes. a mo- and I think a month, about a month before that will be the ESC. So mm-hmm. everyone who wants to see us or part of us there can also go there in Vienna. Yes. The yeah, ESC yeah. being the European Skeptics Congress. Yes. Yeah. So uh, we're saving up for some <laughs> good conferencing in uh, September, October next year. 
Yes. <laughs> yeah, but the COVID situation will still determine the fate of these events, mm. right? I have to tell you that you did mention on one of the episodes the Green Pass and how the Italians are protesting against uh, right. the mandatory Green Passes and all that. I experienced that f firsthand. I overheard the other day, I was in Noto, which is a beautiful Baroque-style town in southern Sicily, and I overheard a conversation... And these guys were so furious that they had to vaccinate in order for, to be able to work at that restaurant. And three of them were like talking rubbish about what the situation is and, and how serious the COVID situation is. And they denied all that. Huh. They said that they don't even believe it. It's amazing. On the other hand, I have to report that since I've been doing tours to Italy as of late, the Green Pass thing works like a charm. Mm -hmm. You're only allowed to enter places if you have a valid Green Pass and you have to wear a mask. And you cannot be more sensible than that if you want to be able to keep tourism going and your economies open enough for, for it to work. I mean, for a lot of people, like in restaurants and in museums and hotels, you have to allow for tourism to actually happen. When it comes to the usage of green passes, I have to say that Italy is doing a really good job. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, but it's interesting. I, I think it's hard for me to understand that people still are denying what's happening. How can they? But you know, you just have to accept that that's the way the world we live in. Uh, people just want to believe what they want to believe and they deny all the rest. Yeah, and the problem is that the television channels and all that, they give platform to these freaking COVID deniers and it's unbelievable. I wonder, do you know if Berlusconi had a, used to have a lot of uh, TV channels? I, I'm, I'm sure they're still there. Do you know anything about yeah. that? Are they spreading? They're the Fox News of Italy or... Uh, not necessarily. The, mm -hmm. the issue is that uh, I think uh, TG5, Telegiornale, TV5, number five, yeah, yeah. or oh, TG5, yeah, yeah, Television Journal number five, yeah, that's very popular, and I think that belongs to his media empire. Imp empire. What really struck me was how heavily they are providing platform for the anti-vaxxers. When there's an anti-vax, anti-mandatory vaccination protest, then they report on it and they give the opportunity for their leaders to talk. They have on a lot of the times uh, that idiot Matteo Salvini, mm -hmm. who's in court for blocking a boat, a migrant boat, which was uh, basically not migrants, it was, it was refugees, and uh, keeping it from docking in the south of Italy. Yeah, there's a lot of things going on. And because the other issue is if they try to keep them away from TV and from airtime, then they claim that they are being silenced. In Italy, politics is absolutely crazy. And it has been always. Always has been, yes. Yeah. There hasn't been a government in power for more than two years forever. Mm. <laughs> that's, that's, they are, they've been changed like nappies. It's, it's <laughs> a good metaphor there, and I it's, think. It's about the same quality. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
It just depends if it's newborn nappies or older baby nappies. <laughs> <laughs> right. But the diet doesn't seem very uh, healthy. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Before we, before we get any further, <laughs> maybe, Annika, maybe you could tell us who is the person we're interviewing today. Yes, so we're interviewing Iris Hinneburg. She's a journalist at Gute Pillen, Schlechte Pillen that translates to Good Pills, Bad Pills. And she's very able in discerning if something's a good study or if something's good rational medicine. Yeah, more about her, of course, in the interview, but it was very interesting to talk to her. Yeah, sorry you missed mm. that, Anders, but you will uh, hear it now. Mm-hmm. Every now and then, we interview someone whose work is of interest to our listeners and skeptics around Europe. Dr. Iris Hinneburg is a medical journalist and editor of Gute Pillen, Schlechte Pillen, Good Pills, Bad Pills. She's an expert in the regards of alternative treatments and food supplements and methods of alternative healers. She had a podcast called Evidenzbasierte Pharmazie, Evidence-Based Pharmacy. Her other podcast, Evidenzgeschichten, Evidence Histories, is still running. She is teaching workshops about scientific studies of pharmacy and medical studies. With this, she is also teaching pharmacists and other medical personnel. Iris, welcome to the ESP. Thank you for the invitation. Welcome. So, could you maybe tell us a little about your professional background, Iris? Yeah, sure. I'm a pharmacist. I studied pharmacy and then um, I had some additional training as a journalist and I've been working as a medical journalist since 2010, I think, so quite some time now. And I'm especially interested in health information so that people without a formal medical training can also learn how to make informed decisions about their health. Yeah, that's very important, I believe. So, so wh why did you decide to go into pharmacy in the first place? I was very much interested in science, and I couldn't really decide which science to study. So um, I decided for pharmacy because you can have the whole or nearly the whole experience of biology and chemistry and medicine and all the stuff, which I liked quite much. Mm -hmm. Of course, it's also quite helpful to have this scientific training. Right. So, And then the journalism side of it, was that planned from the beginning or was that something that happened after you had your pharmacy education? It happened on the way. When I took my PhD, I realized that after 10 years working in a lab, I was fed up with this. But I had a lot of fun writing up my thesis. And that's how the idea formed in my head that I could also try journalism. And I started writing for professional pharmacist magazines which was quite a good way to get into the job. I also had some not so nice experiences in, in this field. And yeah, it's sometimes a little bit difficult to get pharmacists convinced that um, evidence-based medicine or evidence-based pharmacy is really a good idea because it also counteracts their income when they cannot sell all the stuff. Sure. Mm -hmm. And then I thought it might be a good idea to arm the patients that they know what works and what doesn't work. And that's how I changed the sites. And now I'm writing for non-professional magazine and online magazines. That's really important. Yes, I think I think it's also pretty democratic to inform the customer in a way. Yeah, sure. Maybe you can tell us more about your um, magazine, Gute Pillen, Schlechte Pillen. So mm -hmm. like, when did it start? How big is it? Is it is it like only online? So yeah, just tell us more about that. Yeah. Gute Pillen, Schlechte Pillen started as a magazine in 2005. 
It was founded as an independent truck bulletin by some German truck bulletins who address professionals as doctors and pharmacists. Mm -hmm. And they thought that it would be a good idea to have also a magazine that informs customers and patients. Mm -hmm. And one of our USPs is that we are independent. We don't mm -hmm. take advertising mm -hmm. so that we are not um, dependent from the income and we don't only have to write what our customers like. Yeah. And mm -hmm. this is very important. But of course, it has the disadvantage that we are totally dependent on the subscriptions. Yeah, so so yeah. it's totally financed by uh, subscriptions. Yeah. All right. Is this a special company behind it, or is there is it supported by some entity? No, we have a small editorial team, mm -hmm. and from from law, it's a I don't know what it is in English, gemeinnützige GmbH, non-profit organization. Yeah, it's it's a special form of organization which is quite common in Germany. Mm -hmm. So of course we can earn money, but we are not allowed to have stakeholders who get the um the dividends. Yeah, the dividends, okay. but all is reinvested in into the organization. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's some non-governmental organization. In Europe, there are a lot of different constructs how these kind of non-profit businesses are run. So. I can also tell you that we are not a big company. There is only one editor and a lot of freelancers. So it's quite a small team also. So how do you make sure that the advice you give in the magazine or like not only in the magazine, but in total is correct? How do you mm -hmm. prove that? Yeah, asking about our quality assurance process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have some sign kind of method paper, which describes what are the steps in research and writing up that can assure quality. For example, when we have a special topic for an article, mm -hmm. um, which is health advice, then we make sure that we research most relevant systematic reviews for this question so that we don't rely on one study only, unless it's a very new drug, for example, and there is one study only. So we rely on total evidence for this product Mm -hmm. We also make some critical appraisal of the quality of the evidence. For example, have there been any randomized studies? How well, well was the blinding done? Is there any other bias can, that can distort our evidence? Mm -hmm. Then we write it up and then we have checks on several levels. We also have that somebody, some other editor checks this article. For example, checks if all the sources are cited correctly and if this what you can read in the article is really what is in the sources mm -hmm. and then we also have some medical experts who check again in another round and after that then there is also some copy editing and only after i think it's three rounds in total then our articles are published yeah Sounds very rigorous, that, and that's very good. Mm. Do you have a definition, especially what is an alternative medicine compared to a real medicine? What Do you have a short, pithy um, definition of that? Actually, no, because <laughs> <laughs> I think there is only medicine that works, and there is medicine or things that are sold as medicine that don't work. I think there is also some real drugs, for example, that have been authorized by EMA, the European Medicines Agency. 
who have only little benefit. And so we cannot say that what you can buy in pharmacies is real medicine and the other things not, but it's more what we have evidence for. Or if there is no real benefit proven, then right. I wouldn't call it real medicine. Uh, so there, mm -hmm. in your view, there is evidence-based medicine and everything else is actually not medicine because it's just made up. Yeah, but it, of course it can be disguised as medicine. Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. In, in Germany, you do have a lot of, uh, you, as you said, there are certain types of so-called medicine that is allowed, famously homeopathy, but also other yeah. things. Do you have an any plan or idea on how we could change that? I think it needs a lot of political lobbying because I think all the trouble starts with the German truck laws mm -hmm. because they have exceptions for the otherwise quite rigorous process of authorizing medicines. And these exemptions, there are things like traditional phytomedicine, or also homeopathy or anthroposophic medicines, which are exempt, which have an easier route to marketing authorization than other medicines. Mm. And if you don't change this, nothing will change at all. But it's quite hard because there is a lot of money behind yeah, of course. these homeopathy stuff and also food supplements. And of course, the people who sell these stuff are not interested that the laws are changed. Yeah. But there's also a lot of people who are convinced that it works, even though there is no evidence for it, right? But it depends on how you define works. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Okay, yeah. Uh, good. What, what's your definition of works? <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say if there is no other explanation why your situation has become better, then the truck has worked. For example, Of course, you all know what happens when you take something and then you feel better afterwards. It might have been that your disease has improved by itself or because of regression to the mean or that there has some kind of placebo effect or you have a really specific um, effect of the drug. But of mm -hmm. course, to find out what is going on there, you need to have rigorous studies. Yes, we fully agree, of course. Exactly, mm. yes. <laughs> And talking about rigorous studies, what are the stages involved with uh, developing a new product, like a new pharmaceutical product? When you have real drugs or real medicines approved, mm -hmm. you usually have um, four phases or four clinical phases to be correct. Of course, you have a lot of lab work before and also um, some tests in animals to find out if things work. But then you have first in men studies, that's phase one where you test if it is not too dangerous and also first effects. And mm -hmm. if it is a more or less safe, then you have an idea of the promised um, efficacy. Then you proceed to phase two, where you have more volunteers to test the drug for you. And then you also take measurements. Mm -hmm. It depends on what kind of drug you are testing. Sometimes you already have patients, meaning people with the disease in phase two, but latest in phase three and phase three are the are the big clinical trials you need to get marketing authorization for your truck. Mm -hmm. And of course, when you have reached this stage and you get the marketing authorization, usually are also phase four studies following to have, for example, longer follow up 
to have your drug tested in populations which you did not test in your phase three studies. Yeah, that sounds really important and also yeah. really, really rigorous. That's really good. Yeah. yeah. Some people would argue that things like homeopathy, which we know there's nothing in it, there's, it's not poison. Then people ask, what's the harm with that? It's just a harmless pill. What would you say to that? Of course, you can say that if you allow homeopathy to be around, that you undermine trust in real medicines. If you cannot distinguish between homeopathy and real medicines, you don't have a clue what is going on in terms of medicines. I think it's some kind of education problem then. Mm -hmm. And of course, this is when you say, um, I take homeopathy for my cold, then the physical harm really is small. But when you have quacks sell homeopathy for uh, cancer, then it's really getting dangerous because people might avoid real therapy that might help them. And I think there are also a lot of case studies about people who are seeking alternative treatments with cancers, which could be easily cured. But when they come too late, they might die. Right. Mm. And then, of course, the last part there is also that it is fraud and you actually yeah, sure. charge people for things that do not work. Yeah, mm. that's right. With governmental permission. <laughs> yes, that's right. Are there any supplements a healthy person has to take, like really needs, for example, vitamin D? Or is all of that pretty much a big market for nothing? <laughs> It depends, I would say. For example, where there's not a lot of debate is that when you are pregnant, perhaps Annika will know, it is recommended that you, at least in your first trimester, you take folic acid yeah. <laughs> as a supplement because this is proven to reduce neurotube damage to the unborn child. And I think in the first year or the first two winters, depending on when the baby is born, it is also recommended to give a vitamin D supplement. Mm -hmm. And you could debate if you have a very old person who is living in a care home, never gets out to the sun, then you might also think about giving vitamin D Mm -hmm. But I think that's basically the things which are not debated about. Then, of course, you can also have some discussion around if there are any special circumstances you might consider taking a supplement, but it's not so sure, I think. And, of course, you have a lot more advertising for food supplements than people could really need. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Yeah. Speaking of advertising, what methods do you see that these sellers of, of alternative medicine are using. Advertising is one thing, but do you see other methods that I use? I can only talk about advertising because this is what we at Gute Pillen, Schlechte Pillen care most about. Mm -hmm. Because this is what you also see in before German TV news, for example, or in magazines and so on, or online. And what we see most is that when you have a food supplement, you probably know that there are some health claims which are allowed for advertising. For example, you are allowed to say that vitamin C contributes to a normal function of the immune system, which is right. But many sellers of food supplements will turn this into a lot of exaggerated claims. And then they make a claim which you cannot um, act against legally. But you have a small footnote where they have the allowed, the allowed um, health claim. And then 
they make a bold claim in the header of your advertising. This is what we see quite often. Mm -hmm. Can they get uh, prosecuted for that? And, and uh, do you help finding advertising that is uh, unlawful? Yeah, we have a partnership with a consumer organization mm -hmm. and we regularly share these advertising and they also have a lawyer who checks if this can be yeah, prosecuted. It's not prosecuted, actually, I don't know what the English well, name is. It's, it's a, a step before that they write ah, to it yeah. and say it's against the law, stop it, otherwise you have to pay. Mm -hmm. And if they don't, then this consumer organization can take them to court. Okay. Do yeah. they normally follow what the consumer organization tells them to do? Mm, I think it depends. There are some companies who comply, but also others who say, no, we are right here. I don't know what you are talking about. I talked to one project leader of this consumer organization about this issue, and she said that some companies take it into account when they calculate revenues wow. and marketing costs and everything. How long can we just have this advertising? How much do, of our product do we sell until then, until the consumer protection organization comes and... Yeah. So it just becomes a cost yeah. of doing business. They don't yeah, they right. take it into calculation. Yeah, right. Yeah. And of course, you also have authorities who could do this job, but mostly... Yeah, it's, it's a little bit difficult because you have no uh, marketing authorizations for food supplements. You just have to announce it to the authority on a federal level. And the overview of these products is on the Bundesländer level. So on the federal country level. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And the federal authority gives information to the federal countries. But then they have a lot of products and so they usually give it to the communal level where you have these health offices and these health offices, they take samples from shops and only if they recognize some problem with it, then this is really processed. And otherwise, if nobody checks it or if it's not in the sample taken, you can sell the stuff for quite a long time before somebody recognizes the problem. Yeah, that sounds rather complicated. Yeah, this is the way health works in Germany. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> so I think one way to make the whole thing a bit more transparent and better and more fair would be to make the public more aware of medicine that is not medicine, so like alternative mm. ways. <laughs> yeah. And What would be your ideas to make the public more aware to recognize alternative medicine? Uh, what we are doing at Gute Pillen, Schlechte Pillen is that we have a regular column in our magazine, mm -hmm. which is called Werbung aufgepasst, which is in German um, attention to advertising. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we let our copy editor pick up some women's magazines at the train station bookshop. <laughs> And then we have a lot of material where we can check what are the real claims behind these headlines in the advertising. This is one example of what could be done. And as I said, we are also cooperating with this consumer protection organization and they also have a blog and we are also cooperating with other organizations in Germany and mm. in Austria who yeah. do similar jobs, yeah. And of course, your two podcasts are also a way to make the public more aware, right? Yeah, but we don't talk about special products okay. so much. Yeah, mm -hmm. this is more general education. 
Okay. Yeah. Do you think there's something that could be changed in the schools, in the education of learning young people to recognize false claims and to be a little bit more of a critical thinker? Yeah, actually, there are also a lot of programs around, but the problem might be that they are not really established in the curricula. So, um, for example, there is some program which is called Informed Health Choices. It's an international organization who developed a whole curriculum and a lot of learning materials. And they had a very big pilot test in, I think it was Uganda, very mm -hmm. successful. And there is also, I just wrote a review today about an online course of Stiftung Gesundheitswissen here in Germany. Mm -hmm. It's about health literacy for teenagers. And they develop a lot of education material, which can be used in schools. But one problem might also be that it is not really clear in which subject it should be used. For example, I think biology lessons in, in schools are very much on anatomical and physiological level, but not so much on recognizing false claims. And also when you have ethics, education and so on. Yeah. Where it could be, but I think it's not really on the curriculum. So it, it depends a lot if the teachers are interested in these issues and find or make the time in their curricula to get these topics discussed. So, yeah. but of course, all the curricula are already quite stuffed with a lot of right. <laughs> topics. So it might not be easy. Yeah. And, and they are locally decided upon, right? So that to some yeah. extent, at least. So you'll have to make it happen everywhere. Right. But of course, this is again what we discussed some minutes before. Education and school curricula are discussed on a, a federal country level. So it's very difficult to get this in whole Germany. Exactly. Yeah. 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 You mentioned also Austria. And of course, I understand with the common language, it's easy for you to or easier for you to collaborate there. So do you have a counterpart there or or, or how do you work mm -hmm. with Austrian Yeah, issues. it's called Medizin Transparent. It's an online magazine by Cochrane Austria, and they have very similar methods. And um, I'm also a freelancer for them. So um, huh. there is some personal relationship there as well. You help each other out, yeah? Right. And uh, Medizin Transparent, they also work with the Austrian counterpart of this consumer protection agency, And I think they already had in the past some column in the newspaper called The Standard. It's a quite big Austrian newspaper. Mm -hmm. uh, do, do you have any plans of doing anything in English or is it just German? With gute Pillen, schlechte Pillen, I don't think so. Mm -hmm. Because I think it's not our level of expertise. And there are also some English-speaking magazines, I think. I think in the US it's also Best Pills, Worst Pills. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure about the other countries, but I know that there is an organization of independent drug bulletins, um, which are quite international, but I think they are more for health professionals. So I know you from the German SkepCon, the Skeptical mm -hmm. Conference. We talked about it before, but I of course want to know again. So did you find the skeptics or did they find you? So how did that happen? We have a, some history together <laughs> because I think it was in uh, 2019. We had an issue of our magazine where we had two articles against homeopathy and 
This was when we realized something about our readership, because we also write about bad practice of pharmaceutical industry, that they are mostly against pharmaceutical industry, but not so much in favor of real medicine. And we had a lot of cancellations of subscriptions. And some people from the German skeptical organization, they followed us on Twitter and Facebook. And when we wrote about this, they made a very nice gesture that we had a lot of solidarity um, subscriptions to um, compensate for the cancellations. Mm -hmm. And also the German skeptical magazine printed some advertising for us. And this is our mutual laugh started, I think. <laughs> okay, very good, very good. Yeah. And then they also invited us for SkepCon in 2020, but that was canceled because of COVID-19. Mm -hmm. And then now in 2021, this was when it happened. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, of course, we have been uh, <laughs> suffering under this pandemic, as you mentioned, the COVID-19. Going back to pharmaceuticals here, do you think that the mRNA vaccine, the technique behind that, has that revolutionized the pharmaceutical industry in some way? I think we have to wait and see, but I basically think yes. I always try not to be too optimistic about new medicines because there are a lot of stories how things went terribly wrong. Mm. But actually, I think as far as we can see now, it was a big success stories as far as we can tell by now. And I think they also have a lot of promise. But of course, we have to be skeptical and wait and see what is right. coming in the future. Right. Yeah. But it seems to be working very well. and uh... Yeah, of course. But I think we also were quite lucky that it was working out. I don't know if you if you had heard that QVAC, this German company, which mm -hmm. also had some COVID-19 vaccine in the pipeline, they retracted their application for marketing authorization, I think, last week. And this was when I was became aware how lucky we are that we have other vaccines that work. So, yeah. Talking about pharmacy again, what are the biggest misconceptions that people have about the pharmaceutical industry? For example, just mentioning that people always think that big pharma pays everyone. What do you think are the biggest misconceptions there? Actually, some of the things they tell are true. So mm -hmm. it's not that that big pharma are like saints. There are a lot of worrisome things going on. That's why it's important to be skeptical. Mm. And for example, also make assessments of benefits and harms also about vaccines, for example, because in the past, there are also examples of vaccines who didn't work like they should. And there are also drugs that don't work as they should. And you have a lot of advertising for that also with health professionals. Mm. I think the main message would be you have to be skeptical, independent on who makes this drug or this food supplement. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is always a good thing, I think. Yeah. <laughs> right. We should make them prove that it's working if they say it's working. And, and, yeah, right. Uh, yeah. And, and coming to that, we have this idea of uh, trusting the trial results, the research that is happening. And there is this idea that you should have to pre-register all trials mm -hmm. and then report on the mm -hmm. on the results, no matter if it was a failure or not, which is not yeah. the case today. Because what we see is a lot of trials that were successful because you don't want to report on the ones that failed. 
Yeah, of course. And there has been rightly a lot of campaigning on this. Mm -hmm. And you are probably aware that there is a new uh, clinical trials regulation in the EU passed in 2017. And it's coming fully into action in, I think, next spring. And this is exactly what it says. If you have new drugs, all clinical trials should be registered in advance and then reported in fully. But of course, you also have a lot of old data, which might not be published. Mm -hmm. And this is for the people who are doing evidence synthesis, for example, like Cochrane or the German ICVIC. Yeah, when you do meta studies. Yeah. And they also have a lot of trouble to get all the, the data, especially with old medicines. Right. I think we can hope that this is becoming much, much better. And also the agencies um, who are responsible for marketing authorizations, they already have started to push the companies for better publishing. For example, I know of the FDA in, in the US, they started to write letters and they can give very high fines if companies don't comply. And I think with a few examples we have until now, they are quite successful. And also the German B-Farm, which is the German Marketing Authorization Agency, I think they wrote more than 3,000 letters last year and the year before to companies which have not published their data. Mm. And wow. I think things are really going on now. Mm. Okay, obviously we will put a link to the magazine to good, Gute Pillen, Schlechte Pillen in the show notes. But is there anything else you would like people to know about or um, where can people follow your work? You can find us for Gute Pillen, Schlechte Pillen on Twitter and on Facebook and leave a note there. We mm -hmm. would like that. You can also watch out for our new website, which should be starting early next year. Mm-hmm which should be much better than the one right now. <laughs> and of course, if there is time for some advertising, there is also Christmas coming. And if you are a German-speaking person, you might also consider a gift subscription ah. for your aunt or your mom or your dad. That's a very good idea. <laughs> very good idea. And where can people find out more about you as a person, Iris? <laughs> you, you can also follow me on Twitter. It's Iris Hindeburg. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. that's great. Unless Pontus still has a question that concludes our interview. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just, is there something that we didn't ask you about that you would like to tell our listeners? I think that in the next years, it would be very good to talk more about health literacy in general. Mm. Mm -hmm. So that people can learn how to make informed decisions. And there is another pet project of mine, which I'm doing. It's called Plange, also in German. It's on the journalistic platform Riff Reporter. It's an online magazine um, where we write about how to making informed health decisions. Mm. And we also give presentations of good projects going around to enhance health literacy. And I think it's quite interesting. Oh. But of course, only in German. But yeah. perhaps we have some German listeners. Oh, we have many German listeners. Yes. Yeah. Good. If you could uh, send us those links, we will put them yeah, in the show notes later. I will. Hmm? Okay, yeah. So this is now the end of the interview. <laughs> so thank you very much, Iris. <laughs> Thanks a lot. My pleasure. My pleasure. All right. So I think what we heard from Iris is fantastic. And I, I think 
we often say this, this it's so important to have skilled communicators out there and have somebody like Iris Hineburg, who is dedicating her time fully to communicate what is actually facts so that you can determine what is the schlechte pill. I can't pronounce that, but <laughs> no, the bad that pills. Good. That was good. From, bad pills from the good pills. What is the difference between pseudo-medicine from scams, that Edsa Derns would call it, so-called alternative medicine? So if it's alternative, it isn't medicine. But I think um, she's doing a great job, and I wish we had more like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm just really happy we, we could have her on the show. And something I'm also really happy about is that I already saw that a few more people signed up on our Patreon. Oh, yes, mm -hmm. that's right. And yeah. we appreciate that very much. Yes. Like we, we see every sign up and, and I'm always like, yes. <laughs> 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 Because everyone who signs up there enables us to go to the aforementioned European Skeptics Congress or QED and enables us to, for example, if my microphone breaks, that I could get a new one, not and then not at my own expense, or Pontus and Andres are the same. So it's really helping us because we do, we do this show for free and voluntarily. <laughs> and that's why you're really, really supporting us there. Yeah, we love you, yeah. all the patrons. Yeah, and we have another thing to ask about our episode 300. Coming up very soon. That is coming up very soon. It's unbelievable. There are three episodes out. And we would like you to ask us questions. We are, as skeptics, we love asking questions. And obviously, not necessarily about us personally, but about the skeptical movement uh, or our experience with the skeptical movement, how we came skeptics. Uh, actually, there have been a couple of questions like that. Mm. Quite a few, actually. Whatever you mm. want to ask from us. Yeah. I mean, you can ask our favorite color, but <laughs> you can yeah. like you can ask any field you want, any field that interests you, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we will try to give our best answer possible. And um, yeah, we'll see how much of a show we can make out of it. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> oh, but there's quite a few good uh, questions already. So yeah. I think that'll be interesting. And of course, like you can send them to info at the ESP.eu. You can ask them on Twitter or Facebook. You can yeah. also send an audio recording in. Um, Like for That's pronunciations. Right. <laughs> so, yes. yeah, keep them coming too. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> We're still not experts. <laughs> We're always interested in getting, uh, hearing from you guys, yes. literally. Yeah. That's right. We sit here talking to a, a microphone every week, but uh, we don't hear your voices. So, send in your recordings and we will answer the questions. And we'll listen to our listeners. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Making it a two way street. Yes. But that. Oh, one more thing that I wanted to mention now that we were explaining how much we're doing and what we're trying to provide for our listeners and those following us. Pontus, do you want to uh, tell our listeners what you've been up to lately with the website? Yes, we, we have, or I have, uh, done some uh, cleaning up and uh, organizing, reorganizing of the website. So there is a new archive tab. There's been, always been an archive tab, but now you can see all the quotes that we've had on all the episodes, but also all the interviews that we've done. You can see it indexed by person. If you're interested in one specific person, you can see exactly when we talked to them. You can see when we had guest hosts and who they were, and there are clickable links everywhere. So, uh, you know, it, 
I don't want to overblow this. This is not uh, rocket science, but it is uh, neat and um, very informative, I hope. And uh, it must have been a shitload of work for you, Pontus, which I, I think we all appreciate yes, very much. we applaud. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it was uh, embarrassingly easy, but uh, I think the result is good. Yes. Mm. And if you have suggestions for other improvements, let us know and we, maybe we can do it. Mm-hmm. All right. But that's about it for today. And uh, we are coming back with a regular segmented episode next week. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to thank both of you, Annika and Pontus, for allowing me to join you today. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks to our listeners as well for tuning in. Please keep doing so. And until next week, goodbye. Tschüss. Hello. Bis lat. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu, and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe. Okay, there's a lot of background noise. There's a lot of people moving around in the house. So sorry about that. I hope it's easy to edit out. <laughs> as long as you're not talking, it's easy. No, but this is this. No, okay. Let me let me take that. All right. Um. <laughs> you, I have still, you have I still have no idea what it was. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We have a floating baby somehow in, um, yes. in the picture. Yeah, floating right. baby. Yeah, and Luna is there as well. 